I see you're still drinking the nitro. I did. I was pleasantly um, surprised, or, or not surprised, but I just I liked the way it lubricated the conversation last time. So I'm a suspicious person, and uh, I'm going to stick with that. So he's got a little nitro stout. Yeah, it's, oh. it's nice. Colorado beer. Well, I've got a big glass of bourbon, so let's talk about a kids' movie. I have one. All right. episode of the Daily Screening Podcast. My name, as always, is Daily. Joining me this week, my certified film scholar and wife. <laughs> Finally got your title right. So I'm your certified 62 film episodes scholar. in. Yes, yes, you belong to me. I believe uh-huh. that was the arrangement I made. I were goats who were exchanged, and you now I own a film scholar. Uh, <laughs> Jamie, welcome back to the show. Hi. Uh, and joining us from afar... Uh, Mr. Jeffrey Schwartz. Hello, Jeff. How's it going, Daly? Uh, you know, it's not too bad. Not too um, bad. We're, uh, we're going to talk about Inside Out today, the, uh, the latest movie, movie from Pixar, um, which, look, you know, some people are they're throwing the gauntlet down, calling it perhaps Pixar's greatest movie ever. Um, I, perhaps not an inapt description, um, but we're going we're gonna to figure that out right now. Uh before we talk about any Pixar movie, I think we have to start by talking about the short that comes before the Pixar movie, because <laughs> uh, it's such a great tradition of these shorts. Um, I think the last one we saw was the one with the dog. Uh, and the breakup. Yeah, yeah. What was, what was that called? I remember, don't remember what it was called now. But it was like the little dog, and the master feeds him junk food, and then... The, he gets a girlfriend, so he feeds the dog like healthy food, and the dog doesn't want to eat it, and then they break up, and the dog gets them back together. I don't think I saw this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's so cute, Jeff. It's my favorite of all the shorts. It's called Feast. Feast. That's right. And which movie was it paired with? It must might have been Big Hero 6. So that might not be a Pixar short. That might just be a Disney short. That's just Disney. Yeah, it might be a Disney short. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is just Disney. But it was John Lasseter. Yeah, well, John John Lasseter runs Disney Animation. John Lasseter EP'd it, so. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, it was in front of Big Hero 6, and it was just Disney. But, oh, my God, it feels like Pixar. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. so cute. It's It's also a hand-drawn. It's like he's so happy to be getting the junk food again because now that the girlfriend isn't around. But then he quickly realizes that junk food means his master is depressed and sad. And so he, like, goes to get them back together, and it's so cute. I should have remembered that that was Disney because it's got that hand-drawn uh, well, visual style. Well, I was style. trying to remember, too, right before Lava started because I remember thinking how much I loved Feast, and I was trying to remember what we saw it in front of because I was like, we haven't seen a Pixar movie in forever, yeah. so what could it have been? Yeah, because, yeah, we didn't, do, we didn't do Monsters <laughs> University. I mean, I think the last Pixar movie we saw was Brave. Yeah, me too. That yeah. was the last one I saw him in the theater, yeah. you know. yeah. Weird. Um, anyway, well, what what do you think of Lava, Jeff? I mean, it's an earworm. The song is definitely <laughs> like it's it's like one of those you know songs that you once you hear it you can't forget it. Yeah. Um, Worse or better earworm than the the gum jingle from <laughs> Turn Inside Out? Um, I like the gum jingle. Yeah, no, I, mean. I kind of do too. So okay. <laughs> it's so true to life that gum jingle. Yeah, I know. Um, 
I mean, I liked the, I liked lava, I th- and Jessica loved it. If she were here, she'd be like, "Oh, I loved it so, it was so cute." Did the she volcanoes lava got together. It? Did she, she lava it? it? Uh, she yes. lava it First quite. For a second, I really did not think they were gonna get together because now I no longer think right. anything past Pixar after the first five minutes of Up and the last five minutes yeah. or last, you know, third act of Toy Story 3. Yeah. Uh-huh. For a split second, I was like, I don't think, like, I think they're going to miss each other. Like, oh, uh-huh. as soon as you come up, I sink into the ocean. No, I totally thought that too. In fact, I was pretty certain of it that it was going to be, like, and that they were literally deliberately leading us that way with the, like, oh, well, he's down below, but she remembers how much his song meant to her when she was below, so now she sings. And he, like, and then it means something to him. He's like, oh, well, you know, I'm not alone either. And, they, like, it would just be like a, yes, it's, mm-hmm. like, depressing that they would eternally be missing each other. But that it was like he would just be below and it would be okay because he would know that she was singing to him. Because, uh, yes, because I expect expect Pixar to, like, cut me off at the knees at any given moment. So Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure geologically if this is a sound yeah. premise, but uh <laughs> but you know, it's it's cute. I think my favorite uh Pixar short is Presto, which I believe preceded Ratatouille. Yeah. Um the, with the the, the rabbits the rabbit, and the magician. Yeah, yeah that's that's saying. my favorite. So that's more my style, I suppose, yeah. you know, in terms of the shorts. Um so now that but we've established that Feast is Disney. My favorite Pixar one then is The Moon or Luna, the one that mm, was That's a good one too. Luna's good, and I think yeah. that was the one that uh felt that didn't win an oscar it was one of the first times that pixar short didn't win the best animated uh short oscar and i thought it like totally deserved it i couldn't believe it lost um but i remember thinking like, that standing out to me i like la luna a lot i also like the one uh and i don't remember what it played in front of now maybe wally but the one with the ufo and the yes the, the, yeah, the trainee who's trying good. to abduct the guy i mean look that's mm-hmm. just that's just playing right to my strengths right there that's that that thing's made for me so mm-hmm. that one might have played in front of up lifted. actually maybe yeah lifted there you go yeah. Um, yeah, I love I love that one though. So, and it's funny because we have a uh, like a DVD of like the Pixar shorts. Uh, I don't know what at what point it goes up to. It's I've had it for a couple years now. So, um, but you go back and watch that something. Was Ratatouille. It was Ratatouille. All right, yeah. It was Ratatouille. I was gonna say that's on there, so it probably goes up through Ratatouille. Uh, I think that's the last one that's on that DVD. But like, you go back and watch something like Jerry's Game, and you're like, oh my god, mm. how charmingly adorable this animation is! Look what they mm-hmm. could do with a computer. It's amazing. <laughs> Some MS DOS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did they make this in paint? I mean, it's impressive, <laughs> but come on. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So look, like, lava is adorable. We lava it. Well, okay. So let's 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 get into the meat and potatoes here. Uh, inside out. Um, Jamie, we didn't really talk too much about it after the movie. Um, Jamie, what did you th- what did you think? You you were a fan, right? Yes, I loved it. Yes, you loved it. Mm-hmm. Did you lava it? I loved it. All right, that's the last time we're gonna make that joke. Jeff, I positive feelings on Colorado. I mean, yeah, like just it. I missed it up, man. Like I really did. Like, Got a little it, teary. I did, yeah, and oh, I and it, so I didn't think I would after after a certain point. I think you can tell with certain movies if it's yeah. gonna like if it's gonna get you, mm-hmm. but I didn't think this one would. And then when she, uh, Riley's having her moment with her parents, her her little epiphany about oh, yeah, you know yeah. being sad and growing yeah. up, that just I don't know. It just I 
I held it in. It wasn't a Paul Walker, you know, single tier, but it was like, it was close. Like I probably could have, if I had really wanted yep. to, if you, le- so, if you would let go, you know, if you I had let you it go. The dam. Yeah. When yeah. Bong sacrificed himself, that didn't do anything for you, Jeff. No, that, and I love Richard kind. That, I what know. a great performance that is. Unbelievable a, performance. Yeah, no, that was that. And that was, that was good, but no, it didn't, that didn't get to me for some reason, but yeah. no, I love this movie. I think it's, I mean, my favorite Pixar movie is Wally, followed very closely by Ratatouille, and I would really put it up there with those ones. Like, I, I think it's spectacular. I think the the screenplay is maybe their best screenplay. Like, yeah. it's so layered and so creative. And uh, you know, reading interviews in the days since, seeing it with Pete Doctor and how they consulted neuroscientists to you know like get the science right of how yeah. we experience emotions mm-hmm. um, and how certain emotions can become tinged with different or certain memories can become tinged with different emotions. And that changes how we remember the memories. Um, and so I, yeah, I wholeheartedly, you know, thought this was amazing. Yeah, no, I, I read some of that same stuff today too. Uh, talking with the, the neuroscientists that they consulted with. Um, I also think it's interesting because I also, I read another thing today uh, that originally uh, the, uh, dynamic there that you know the main sort of relationship between uh, joy and sadness was originally supposed to be joy and fear and that mm-hmm. that actually got pretty far along in the story process um because i get pete doctor um sort of he originally sort of started it based on his own kind of childhood and that's so he was like oh i felt like a lot i made a lot of decisions out of fear when i was a kid and then at a certain point he started to model riley more on his own daughter and right. felt like well fear isn't the right it doesn't feel right anymore. That's not the right character. So switching it over to sadness. And we talked a little bit about this earlier that like, you know, you gotta be, you gotta give credit. you be impressed. You know, how many movies out there, certainly like kids movies out there are really espousing the idea of embracing your own sadness, you know, mm-hmm. that like sadness is important. Um, yeah. And, and that, that growing up is going to hurt, yeah. you know, yeah. and there's no way around that. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, like that is just part of growing up. It's going to hurt. And I, exactly. I mean, how candid and how like, I mean, yeah, you're not even just kids movies. I mean, I think, you know, so many movies kind of don't have that kind of emotional honesty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's something really great about um, sort of the grace with which the movie does this. Um, and, you know, like Jamie and I talked a little bit about this uh, a couple of days ago, which is, you know, so like even just looking at the very, very end of the movie um, where you sort of see uh, the, where the new core memory gets formed at the very end. And it's a combination of yellow and blue. And then it yeah. cuts to like a few, you know, a little bit later where she's got like a whole new set of core memories. And they're all multicolored. They all yes. have like a different variety. But the movie doesn't like bang you over the head with that they don't like stop none of the characters they stop and explain like, like look, oh look yeah oh look it's look both yellow and blue emotions. yeah exactly Ooh. like the movie just sort of lets it happen and let you sort of figure it out for yourself which is a very mature storytelling thing and like we talked about we mentioned uh, big hero six a few minutes ago like I, I really like big hero six but i felt like it suffered in a few places of like characters over explaining what is happening or what just happened because you know their target audience is a little young so i have to you have to respect them for really kind of not playing to you know to playing to an, an evolved sense of storytelling um because I'd be willing to bet and i you know 
have a little control group of small children to whom <laughs> you, I should you ask You literally this. do. I was going to say, did any of your kids go see it this weekend? Um, I don't think so, because I mentioned that I saw it, and most of them were just yeah. like, I want to see it, um, but didn't say that they had seen it. But if any of them see it between now and when school lets out, just to sort of ask to see if they noticed, like not to point it out to them, but yeah. just to sort of ask guiding questions to see if what they say because i think the color coding is something that even surprisingly little kids will pick up on oh absolutely and that's the thing that and I they think... might not fully understand what that means unless yeah. you have a conversation with them about it right but they'll pick up on the fact that they went from being all certain colors to being mixed colors yeah exactly it's a very simple visual cue that like literally anyone will pick up on even if they're not really actively aware that they're picking up on it. More importantly, though, I think that that moment is sort of one facet of one of the bigger strengths of this movie, which is like, again, we're sort of talking about t- like talking how it's talking to kids. You know, it's a very subtle kind of way to tell kids like it's okay to be sad. You know that that sadness is okay, and so is fear, and so is disgust. Like that, these are all, and that's one of the important things, or you know, one of the smart things about this script, like you said is that, you know, Joy literally, when she introduces everybody for the first time, it's like, everybody has their value, you know? Like, fear keeps us alive, you know? Mm-hmm. And disgust keeps us from eating gross things, you know? Like, uh, you know, there everyone has something that, like, gives value to her as a person. And this is really the movie about them discovering sadness's value. And mm-hmm. by not really over-explaining it, by just sort of allowing you to see, hey, you know what? Sadness makes other people, brings other people to help you. Sadness, in, you know, causes love and compassion in others. And, you know, sadness is sometimes the only way to get through something that it's okay. Like, I like being so subtle about it, I think, is like speaks to kids far more than a movie that is like, you know, literally stops and turns to the camera and in a Hugh Laurie-esque fashion and says, kids, <laughs> now you, you should be sad now from time to time. It's important to be sad. And if you're not being sad, then you're going to have problems later in life, you know? Let's never talk about that movie again. <laughs> I was just going to say, I like, you know, for example, when bing bong is really upset and joy can't make it better but then sadness just sort of sits next to him and is like that sounds tough Can yeah you tell me all about that that does sound really hard and joy's like you made him feel better how'd you do that and he's like i just he was sad and so i listened you know just that idea of sometimes you should be sad for a few minutes and then you will feel better yeah but if you just try to stifle the sadness you're not going to feel better exactly and that's one of those things that you know, and I had a I had a little bit of trouble with this early on in the movie, I think, and I, which is that, you know, early on when you see Joy kind of really struggling with the relationship with sadness, but like how to what to do with sadness, basically, what to do, how, how to handle her on a day to day basis. You know, you see her basically like tamping her down, like you're gonna stand in this chalk circle and not walk <laughs> out of this chalk. So this is the circle of sadness, which is like yeah, it's a funny bit, but at the same time, you're like. God, Joy, you're such a bitch. Like, what the hell, you know? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, it's just... Amy Poehler would not want you to use that word. Fight it. Okay, I'm sorry. Leslie but I'm just... would not want you to use that I'm word. just saying Joy is being really, really harsh to sadness to the point that I found it a little hard to sympathize with Joy in some areas <laughs> because she was being so, I mean, unintentional, but so incredibly mean to sadness. Well, you always have hated Joy daily. So. That's true. I am. I am no <laughs> fan of Joy. joy. Uh, well, I also as evidenced by my dislike of Hook, apparently. 
<laughs> I mean, we were talking right after we saw it, Daily, because you were saying, you know, you kind of also didn't know how to sympathize with sadness because yeah. you kind of felt like, why is she just walking around touching everything? Like, you know when you touch it that it gets sad when it was supposed to be a happy memory, so why are you touching it? And I was saying that to me, I felt like that was actually a really interesting way of showing that even though we're introed into the movie as almost like the emotions are autonomous and the emotions are driving Riley, to have it be, it's actually a little bit more symbiotic. It's not like one controlling the other. It's like I felt like that whole idea was a metaphor for the fact that like Riley is trying to feel sad. She wants to feel sad, but she's shoving it back because mom asked her to be happy. And so it's like she wants the sadness to creep out. She wants sadness to break out, and she can't have it. And so she's shoving sadness yeah. away. And sadness has a couple cues like that where at one point she's like, I'm sorry, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just keep wanting yeah, to touch it or whatever. And like I think like in the moment I sort of felt like what I wanted more was uh, for sadness to not stand up for herself but to have her motivation be like, Hey, I belong here too. Like I, I'm just, yeah, I just as valid for me to operate she the control board or me She's to touch the sad. memories. No, I know. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like her standing up for herself wouldn't necessarily feel right for that character, but like for her to feel sad that she doesn't get the chance to do those things, like could have worked. You know, it it never felt like it was uh, motivated from her character. It just was like, like Jamie said, it's like this sort of removed esoteric idea of like well there's some other thing going on that she can't quite figure out and so like it makes so like i said it made it kind of hard for me at the beginning where it was like well joy's being really mean and sadness just seems to be a fuck up so like who am i supposed to be rooting for here you know yeah exactly (laughs) rooting for lewis black always rooting for lewis black (laughs) holy hell but I also like the idea of introducing nostalgia, like those sadness-tinged happy memories and how that doesn't ruin the happy memory, but that it's a memory that could be happy can suddenly turn sad in retrospect. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I, I, I think I'm, I agree with Jamie's interpretation of how they're using sadness. And, and, I mean, I think I would just say that Riley doesn't know what to do with her own sadness. Yeah. And so that's reflected in the way sadness is acting. So I like the idea that this is a symbiotic relationship. And because Riley doesn't know what to do with her sadness, sadness as a character has these impulses but doesn't know what's behind them. Exactly. So, so I think that's – and I, I think that's there. I don't think we're reading too much into the script. Like I think that's there and that's, again, the level of the screenplay and how, how much it trusts the – the viewer to put the dots together in a way that, you know, really reflects how, um, you know, how mature, uh, the storytelling is. Um, and I think this is one of the, you know, and I mean mature and I guess in a way that it's sophisticated, yeah. you know, um, as opposed to a lot of other children's movies, which can be very enjoyable and entertaining, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them mature. Right. You know? No. And I think that's, I, I agree. And I think that also kind of comes into, uh, play with, like we say, that her mother is like, hey, I need you to just put on a smile and be our happy girl. And that that's a cue that happens a couple times. Like, hey, where's our happy girl? Who's our happy girl? We're so lucky. You're so happy all the time. And it's not too blunt. They're not too blunt with it because it happens like just the right number of times. And they're like interspersed, like just far enough apart that it doesn't feel like really overwhelming. But it's also just enough times that like if you're a kid – 
who's constantly sort of feels like, well, I have to be ha-, like who feels like they have that expectation put upon them that they need to be a happy kid, that they need to be always upbeat and always smiling and always likable. And I feel like, you know, that's probably an, uh, that's probably a onus that is put on girls young girls even more often than young boys mm-hmm. um that it's like yeah again it's like you just you recognize those cues you know like the the movie isn't necessarily like talking point blank to you it's just sort of like it's putting something out where it, it rings true you go oh I, yeah i've heard that before like I, i've had that conversation before and so everything just you know vibrates with you it just resonates in a in a way that is more authentic than if the movie is explaining why it's why things are you know yeah, no, and to sort of go in a, a slightly different direction, but to piggyback on this idea of it being subtle, you know, on the one hand, this movie is very blunt force because it literally personifies emotions and, and yes. personifies things like the train of thoughts mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, oh, yeah, the, the, sure. the memory dump and, you know, all, all super clever, wonderful ideas. You yeah. know, so I'm not I'm not at all sort of uh, denigrating those ideas. But, you know, again, they're very literal and they're meant to be. That's sort of the conceit of the story. But one of the things I really liked about the very end, like we're talking about the credits where we get to see inside the heads of other people. Yeah, totally. I thought not only is that funny, it's a great sort of end credits thing to do, but the this might sound like grandiose but like the sort of the subtle suggestion is that we're all going through these things and it's like it's sort of it's giving humanity to everyone because we all have these emotions jockeying for control and that's why we act the way we do and so it's it's very subtly you know giving humanity to all these people to everyone and and i think that's such an interesting message that you might not as a child pick up on completely but i think it'll it'll percolate in your own sort of unconscious and i think that's such a a great you know, a great meld of humor and then this great idea, you know? And plus, and I'm not sure if this was intentional or not, but I feel like they went out of their way to make a difference between the kids' heads and the adults' heads. Because, mm-hmm. like, Riley's emotions are five completely separate characters. Yeah. Whereas when we're in her mother's head, her father's head, her teacher's head, their five emotions are all basically the same. Yes. Like, they they look the same, they're just different colors, but they act the same. Like, all of them are working together in concert, like, having conversation, like, he's not listening to us, signal him again. They're almost like air traffic controllers yeah. working yeah. together, but they're not fighting each other, and they're not all extremes like Riley's emotions mm-hmm. are. And moreover, there's a visual cue there as well, which is, you know, you look at each of, so like each of her parents, like, one emotion is in charge. I mean, I mean, it seems sort of true of Riley, where joy is sort of her overriding emotion. But one emotion is in charge there. And in the parents, there's a visual cue that goes along with it. So in the dad, it's anger, because they all have mustaches. Yeah. And they and they literally <laughs> refer to anger as sir. Like, sir is the, the submarine captain Which running is, the but ship. that's kind of weird, though, because her dad doesn't seem like an angry guy. No, no, he doesn't. Um, I think it's more of like that. I, I feel like it's more of a, uh, a childhood, like authoritative view. Like if you're playing to a kid's audience, it's like, well, the father is the one with like the, the stern authority figure. Mm. Whereas when you look at the mom's uh, emotions, they're, they all look like sadness. They all have like glasses and they're all kind of quiet. And sadness is controlling the mom, which is, again, the mom is not a sad person. You know, so I don't think it's about like that's an overriding emotion of the person, but it's like that's kind of like some some part of the personality sort of takes over the person and is sort of running the ship. Um, and it might not be really overt. It could just be like, 
you know, a subtle undertone of the personality. But I, I it's a, again, it's I an mean, interesting I think idea. Just picked one to model all the, the adult emotions off of, but more of the point I was trying to make was not that the dad was like angry. No, I don't think he like is either. Mom is sad, but just the idea that like their emotions are more in check. Yes. Oh no, that's absolutely right. Yeah. That there, yeah, there's there's a more of a harmony in yeah. in how they operate. It's not like I grab the board. No, you grab the board. No, I grab the board. That's what I was going to say because I'd, I'd have to rewatch it. And God, would I love to resee this movie? I mean, yeah. I just it was you know I was immediately ready to buy another ticket. But it always to the adults to me seemed more like a team. Like their emotions seemed like a team where they're all and they're even in the way it's shot and animated where they're all like in a line. You know, yes. like all the mom's emotions are in a line yep. rather than like sort of scattered in the headquarters, which. One of the greatest puns in animation or movies in general. I love that. Headquarters. Headquarters. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. that was amazing. So I, I always thought of the adults as like, you know, Joy isn't in control the way it is with Riley. And really none of them are in control. They're all kind of together. And maybe yeah. one takes its cue. Like anger might be a little bit more present in the dad. But really, it's not, it's, it's not as delineated in the adults. The, right. the emotions aren't as delineated as it is with Riley. I agree, and I think there's another great sort of, like again, sort of like a subtle, smart visual cue thing here, which is the control board itself. Like, you think of the mom, it's like they're all literally sitting along a control board that can seat five emotions, right? It can seat mm-hmm. five people, you know? Uh, whereas, you know, Riley, their board is a little bit smaller, and so they can only really only all get in sort of like one at a time, maybe like two at a time or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. And even if you go... Uh, all and obviously they get sort of they get a new control board at the end. So the idea that it's like oh the you know the board gets bigger as like the emotions become more complex as like the person becomes more complex because if you go all the way back to the very first scene when Riley is first born the control board is one button. Yeah, it's just joy and one button and she pushes yeah. the button and she, the, and the baby makes a noise and if mm-hmm. joy pushes it then she makes a giggle and if sadness pushes it then she cries and it's like mm-hmm. so it's like the idea that the the control board literally evolves as the person does as the person yeah. ages like that's again that's just like it's a it's a nice little thing that you're like yeah no of course that that totally makes sense I totally get that yeah. you know yeah um, and I just go ahead no, Jamie go ahead, go ahead. no just real quick on that point that uh you know I think what this movie does so well, again, kind of getting a little bit back to the the screenplay, but then also working in tandem with the animation is it finds ways to visually represent, you know, ideas that are, you know, kind of hard to wrap your, your mind around, you know, and like, you know, and, and it does it in the, you know, more fun ways like the train of thought. Mm-hmm. But then it also with the, the, the whole idea of the control board and how it evolves, like you were saying daily, like that is such a great way to sort of symbolically represent a mental process, you yeah. know, and, and, and I think this movie does so well with that and is so creative and inventive with the way that it imagines these mental processes. Yeah, so. absolutely. There are some that are like really great, you know, like, uh, you know, like, so there, there's the long-term memory when they're mm-hmm. wandering through this, like, maze of long-term memory, and there's the two... First of all, I also love all of the weird little creatures that, like, live in the memory banks. Like, uh-huh. oh my god, every single one of them is just like... And a great supporting cast for all of those voices. Fucking Frank yeah. Oz is one of the voices. It's crazy. Yeah, and, and Dave Goals. Yep, Dave Goals. Or, Yep, yeah. and uh, uh, Bobby Moynihan and Paula uh-huh. Poundstone are the two yeah. that are, which is one of my favorite bits when they're erasing all the old memories. They're like, why does she need all these phone numbers? They're all on yeah. her phone. She doesn't need those. Need those. Yeah. Yeah. Presidents, George Washington, yeah. Lincoln, that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
was there but there are a bunch of those where it's like like abstract thought the abstract, abstract thought, thought thing is yeah. like my might be my favorite thing in the whole goddamn movie like, oh yeah holy hell it's so like it's such a smart visual thing and like her narrating it is really great i also like the get like the bit of you know that joys was like here just read these manuals and then reading the manuals becomes important you know like yes, that's absolutely. another really nice smart like you know storytelling well in the in the rocket the rocket is eventually just a thing to flesh out um what crap what's his name um bing bong bing bong it's just a it's just a thing that's associated with bing bong and then it becomes this plot device at yeah, the exactly. end, which is it like but it doesn't ever feel forced you know again the screenplay is just it's so amazing the way it's constructed totally and then there are also there are, there are tons of just throwaway gags too like okay so like the the old memories that's kind of a throwaway gag the other one that i really love is when they get on the train and she says oh all these facts and opinions look exactly the same oh don't worry about it just throw them in a box you never it doesn't matter anymore you yeah know? Like, oh that was a, that was great oh I love my that. god that's like that's one of those jokes that like makes adults cackle <laughs> and kids are mm-hmm. going okay i don't really know i really wish i'd seen the movie with you guys because I was laughing through this whole movie, and that's yeah. another thing I hope we can talk about is I think this is one of Pixar's funniest movies. Yeah. Oh, like, sure. Just in terms of its humor. And I was, I mean, anytime sadness opened her mouth, I mean, Phyllis Smith does such great work. And I it's, I mean, it's what could have just been a Debbie Downer character, which I'll totally admit I love Debbie Downer, so it's kind of playing to my sense yeah. of humor anyway. But, like, this movie is funny. Like, it is, you know, it is as funny as I think anything Pixar's done in a very long time. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, like, one of the things I think that that Pixar is so good at is making movies that are funny for adults in ways that kids don't understand, but they're not necessarily going to go home and ask about, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like the adults just get to laugh and whatever. I, we were at a, I mean, it was raining and it was Father's Day, so we were at a packed theater full of families yeah. of little kids. And I heard just the adults laughing constantly throughout the mm-hmm. entire movie. Like, the kids were obviously enjoying it too, but it was one of the most consistent adult reactions I have seen at any animated movie. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. I was one of the only ones laughing. Like, Jessica would laugh, and other people would laugh, you know, like, in a few lines, like, the facts and opinions, like, definitely got big, uproarious, you know, uh, results um, from the audience, or reactions from the audience, but I felt like I was one of the only ones really, like, into it so that's yeah. why i was like oh man like if daily were here or jamie were here like it would you know it would be more you know more raucous oh, you know absolutely. We, we could we could up the volume of the the theater a little bit no so. there were a couple there were a couple of things and again there's like those throwaway gags that i just like like the two cops who are arguing about no it says my hat no but i wrote <laughs> yeah. my hat no my, but, hand. my handwriting no it says it says my hat though like that bit that was, is that's really like monty python yeah like, it, it literally is yeah i mean that's like who's on first level humor it's amazing yeah. Um, the other one that I really love, and I know I know you went for this, is the gag with the people made with the cloud guy who gets killed, and then they go back to it with the cloud wife and the cop, <laughs> and, and he blows you through the woman again. Yeah, forget it, Jake. It's Cloud Town. <laughs> yeah, like it's a great like the Chinatown gag is great, but just the fact that they like go back to that joke like forty five minutes later, and it's like, mm-hmm. no, that guy is dead. It's not like they just like blew through it and he reformed somewhere else. Like my husband was murdered. Like yeah. what the hell? That's amazing. Yeah, no, that's I. There's so many. Yeah, great. And again, like anytime. It's, they're not even, I don't think, designed to be this way, but like really anytime Sadness opened her mouth, I laughed because yeah. it's those there's those sorts of, you know, Debbie Downer lines and, and it just, it's kind, it's kind of dark. It's kind of, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's not a 
the kind of sense of humor you get when when Joy says something right. funny, you know. Yeah. But like, it just that hit me like every time she said something, I was laughing. I like after the first time Joy drags her around by her foot. At that point, she stops mm-hmm. even trying. It just any time it's time to move again, just lays yep. down and puts her ankle <laughs> up in the air. <laughs> like, all right, let's go. I did like Joy's impression yes. of sadness. Yeah, exactly. I, oh, I just lay on the floor and wait in the world. Carrie, drag me around, touching everything. <laughs> Uh, the other bit that I really, really love is uh, the dream production. Oh, um, dream production! That dream was so production good. Amazing. I like, liked fear watching the dream. Yes, no, exactly. <laughs> fear critiquing the dreams. Boring. Yeah, like, this is a bad actor. Like all of that. So Bill Hader just scoring one line after another there. Yeah, which is great. But just the idea of like dream production. That like again, those little amorphous like memory teeth workers. Teeth falling out. See that yeah. one. Yeah, the guy I just dropping the, teeth in front of the camera. I have the teeth falling out dream all the time. Really? So I loved yeah. fear being like teeth falling seen that one <laughs> uh but yeah like the idea of like the production assistant version of it where it's like there's a guy uh-huh. just dropping teeth in front of the lens and, and they put the reality distortion lens over the camera uh-huh. i also just love that it literally like it looks like a film studio you're like oh that's the warner brothers lot i know that yeah i've been there that's great you know yeah well and like oh we got a lot of good material today a lot of good you know yep. potential good stuff memory. that we first can day of school yeah. great stuff here yeah exactly <laughs> No, and that's, again, it's a great way to visually and comedically represent a mental process. Like, I mean, that's, you know, something weird happens in your day. Like, I don't know. I dream. I don't know about you guys, but I totally, like, I dream 90% of the time. And if I have something weird that happens in my day, like, it's finding its way into a really crazy (laughs) dream that I will have. So, Um, Now, do you also share a fear of clowns? Because, I, man, that clown. <laughs> that, no, that clown is terrifying. But you know what? I've never been afraid of clowns. I've yeah, me neither. Yeah. It's never been, yeah. And I've always had friends who are like, oh, clowns are terrifying. It is the scariest thing that was ever made. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. I was obsessed you know? with it as a child and watched it over and over and over and over again. And I still never developed a fear of clowns. Right, yeah, I don't I don't know. So, yeah, it's just one of those things. Fear is yeah. like, you know, comedy. It like either hits you or is it doesn't. But, yeah, exactly. you know. Yeah, but, but yeah. understand the, like, clown fear trope enough to understand, like, why that would be something. Mm-hmm. Um, since we haven't really talked about it yet, I want to talk about it just because going into the movie, obviously, I knew about the emotions and inside her head and everything. But so the biggest surprise and the thing I loved the most for me was the islands of personality. Mm-hmm. And not only that idea of the core memories building her different islands of personality, but then the islands crashing down. Because you knew as soon as they crashed down that new ones were going to come up. And how, like, that's okay. Like, she didn't quit playing hockey, but she might have. Yeah, exactly. The things you do as a kid and then you stop. Yeah, never come back. And it would have been replaced with something else, you know? And it can be hard and it can be sad, especially from an adult perspective. But I was just really, like, that was just so interesting to me watching that and to see, like, these islands necessarily coming down, but then knowing they would get built back up by something new and different in that aspect of growing up. I just thought that was really fascinating and really well illustrated. Yeah, I think there's something great about that too. Although, again, like this is one of those things that kind of, like I I like it sort of in retrospect, I guess. In in the moment, there was something that was sort of, uh, and again, I think through the, the way that they tell the story, something that didn't really sit right with me. And that's that, um, and I think this rings true of like when you're, we're dealing with an 11 year old, you know, so there is a sense of immediacy where it's like whatever's happening right now is the most important thing in the world, you know. And so there is a sense of I don't want to say lack of history, but it's like 
like you know so for example like when when joy finds that was looking at the core at, at that memory of when she missed the shot at the hockey game um and she it's like it's a yellow memory but she like scrolls back and it turns blue so like like look for me i can't help when you when you when you start your movie with like a 5 minute expository about like the mechanics of how this engineering system works of like there are memories but then there are core memories and then there are they, they lead to these islands and then there's long-term storage and there's this, like like when you have to when you build a like very mechanical and like uh engineered world like i i get wrapped up in the details of that stuff so it's like okay well if that started out as a sad memory and then became a uh, joyful memory like wouldn't that be a thing that you witnessed happening or is that not how it works so that sense of immediacy where it's like you know whatever's happening right now is like the most important thing in the world so like we're we're watching the movie and it's like oh the islands are crumbling and i've seen a movie so i know that this movie is not going to end with her not having any personality she's going to build new islands of personality but at the time, and that, I think this is, again, like, why I had trouble sort of getting on board with sadness, where it's like, whatever's going on, like, right now, right this minute, it's like, well, she touched that memory, and now this memory is sad, and now Riley's gonna be a sad person, and, like, that's all that matters. And when, like, all of the characters get are on that level, it's hard for me as the audience to be like, well, I... And believing what the characters tell me, essentially. Like, I'm trying to get in... I'm in the world of the characters. So if you tell me that the rules of this universe are, like... If that island falls down, Riley will hate hockey forever and there will never be any but more hockey. Then, like, say. that's hard for me to, like, get on board with. I that's what they did say. Also, think of it as alternate universe theory. Okay. Right now, because she had a bad tryout and she didn't continue the tryout, we are at that moment... Where the alternate universes are splitting. Where the split, okay. Yes, and she could go this way to where she never plays hockey again. She could go to get a different audition, a different tryout or something with a different team and play hockey another way. Or she could find a new sport entirely. Yeah. Like, we're at that moment where the coin has flipped and we're waiting for it to land we're in schrodingerville yes exactly that's all it is so until the new island is built you don't know where she's gonna go right like maybe she isn't ever gonna play hockey again maybe hockey's just gonna be a fine a fond childhood memory but she's gonna like take up baseball or she's gonna stop playing sports altogether you know maybe no no no. i agree well i guess what i'm saying is and again i think this has more to do with the fact that the character is 11 you know so it's like i guess the idea is that they've never seen an island go down that this would be a regular recurrence like if you were an adult yeah you've seen many islands go up and then come down and get replaced (laughs) by new islands but since she's still pretty young they've literally never seen an island crumble you know so like i guess it's that again it's that sort of like having the adult bringing the adult perspective to it we're like well yeah of course she's probably gonna go through a hockey phase and then not do hockey and then maybe pick it up again or whatever where it's like it's not the end of the world if the hockey island disappears but the movie presents it as the end of the world so it's sort of like it's like when, uh, so like, when a character dies or in, in, in any other movie, it's like, oh, this character with a like very famous actor dies at the beginning. You're like, well, he's not really dead. He's gonna come back in, you know, in an hour. He'll be alive again. You know, so you like, you just spend the movie like waiting for the the characters to get to that point where like you, the audience member, have already arrived. Like, that, there was a little bit of that for me. I think. But see, I don't. I didn't feel it that way, like that cynically, because yes, I'm an adult, and yes, I've seen movies, and I know the islands are going to come back up. But part of it is that I appreciated the metaphor 
part of it is I was interested to see what the islands would be when they came back up because yeah. they could have been something totally different. Um, part of it is I liked the way that the islands were attached to the core memories um, and knowing that she's going to make new core memories, but not in a like, well, I've seen a movie way, but because I moved when I was 11. You know, like, I moved from Louisiana to Texas, which doesn't sound like a big move unless you have spent a lot of time in Louisiana and Texas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you will know that you might as well be moving from California to Alaska. You know, like, it's a totally different thing. And I was 11. And all your core memories and all of your who you are is wrapped up in you know, that place. Yeah, where you were. Yeah, yeah. And, and the people that you did it with and the food that you had and the places you went. And then you move and it's all different and it's never coming back. Yeah. And you become a completely different person and you look back on that as an adult and you recognize that like that move is part of why you became a completely different person. But at the time, it's an extremely jarring not altogether pleasant experience. Yeah. Um, and so I totally identified with it. Like, oh, she's going to become this whole new person because of all these new experiences. And who knows who that person will be or what those islands will be. And it was just, I really appreciated the metaphor and the way they they showed it. Yeah, I think I appreciate it more sort of in retrospect. Um, and I think Marty, maybe, you know, it's because her islands are a weird mix. Like there's honesty and family and hockey and goofball and a fifth I was going to say I like remember. I think those are the main ones like you got to there's five of them though honesty family friendship friendship, friendship. yeah friendship island. okay yeah. so, so I was gonna say, well only because goofball's the first one that goes down so you're like oh she's 11 like she's hitting puberty she's going to stop being a goofball so I was like I think that's maybe what put the sense of stakes in it for me where it was like oh she's hitting that like part where like life changes and you start to get a sense of maturity and it's like well i stopped being a goofy kid who you know believes in weird stuff and it's just like silly for the sake of being silly and you become like moody and temperamental and since that's the first one that goes down i think that's sort of where i felt like it was leading me and then again like hockey is the same thing it's like oh well then she played hockey as a kid and then she stopped playing hockey so maybe if these islands go down they do have permanent consequences then again at the same time it's like well if family island goes down she's not going to hate her parents for the rest of her life. I mean, so it comes back in a different form, right? Family Island is not the same. And I was going to say like hockey Island, hockey Island is the outlier to me. Like all the other things are like, they're very much, you know, tied to her emotions and to her memories. And I could imagine those being there from the beginning, you know, or, or, you know, like maybe, you know, one was first, you know, maybe goofball was first and then, you know, and the, or family was first and then goofball and then, you know, yeah. and so, and then honesty, you know, sort of they, but they've been there forever. And so to me, it makes sense that like their, the emotions reaction to the, the, the islands toppling would feel like the end of the world because these islands have been there forever. Right. And these are, you know, hockey's a hobby. It's kind of, you know, that one, well, that one again, like it feels like the outlier and accomplishment and, you know, Goal setting and achieving, literally and metaphorically, you know, (laughs) learning that you can do that, especially because it's something her parents taught her to do. Yeah, no, that's true. That makes sense. But yeah, I think it I, you know, I was totally invested when they started going down because it felt like these are core aspects of her personality and they are 
they're being, you know, disintegrated. So what will replace them and how, I mean, I kind of thought, well, you know, they'll probably come back, but yeah, how will that manifest itself and how will that, how will that change be affected? So yeah, I felt, you know, I don't know. I was more, I guess I I bought into the stakes more than, than perhaps you did daily. So as someone who has moved a lot though, I just, as the core memories were disappearing, I just kept being, I wanted to be like, you'll make new core memories, Riley. Like it'll be okay. I promise. You Um, need to, you need to remind me of that. Maybe that's why this movie hit me because it's like, I just, I just, I just moved too. And I'm just like, you know, I'm, you need to rebuild friendship Island, Jeff. It's okay. (laughs) We're rebuilding it now. (laughs) Yeah. I think maybe, I don't know. Maybe that is why I got misty at that moment. Uh, But also like, it was just a coincidence, but Goofball Island being one of the first to go really got me a little choked up just because a friend of mine happened to be telling me just completely unrelated um, about a week before her, she has two kids, her oldest one is six. And she was just saying that, like, she's already seeing him becoming too cool for things mm, and, like, yeah. not nearly as interested in things that he used to be. And it's really sad and really hard for her. Like, for example, she was like, you don't even know what it was like the first time we took him to Disney, like, how excited he got and how he ran around all happy and, like, throwing his arms around all the characters. She took him to the opening of a Disney store at a mall by her, and they had all the characters, and she's, like, getting him to pose for the pictures, and he's rolling his eyes, and he's sighing, Mm. and he's clearly making a, like, I'm only doing this because you're making me face, and she was just like, what happened? You're only six! So when Goofball Island went down, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) That is sad. That is sad. Um, And, again, like I said, the sort of opening, unless it you know, misconstrued that I was, anno- I, I actually love that cold open of like the explanation of, well, there are core memories and there are the islands and like it's, you, they get it all out of the way before the credits even start actually. Mm-hmm. Like they just knock it all out from the beginning and, and then you just sort of, you're, you're just on a ride. And there is certainly, like I said, there's a sense of great sense of discovery throughout the movie where you learn about stuff like, like the memory dump and how that works. And, uh, man, when Bing Bong was introduced, holy hell, I literally just sat there going, what the fuck is this guy? Like, what? A, who? Like, Because every, everyone else is like a jelly bean. You know, everyone else is just out there sort of like a little weird, like, blob color. But it's like, he is a very specific, is he is like the bandit of her memory? Like, is he a memory right. bandit? Like, what's going on here? Because he's literally like stealing memories at the beginning when you meet him. Uh- yeah, I was going to say, like, he, that's what I thought, too, uh, that he's sort of furtively stalking through the long-term memory maze, and, and yeah, and, like, a, like stealing these memories. I'm like, well, what is this? Like, yeah. and I, I'm still not entirely clear what he was, I guess those are memories associated with him. I and say, maybe uh, they're memories of him, and he's taken them because she's forgetting them. Uh, okay, maybe yeah, so, he's, yeah. He's protecting them from the forgetting police. I was going to say, maybe police, he's trying yeah. to save his memories of him. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. I also, seriously, I, and again, it's one of those, like, I watch movies things, but it's like, I spent a, the first, as soon as they left headquarters and they were like out in the, th- on the, in the maze and stuff, I was just like, all right, when is she going to find a fucking duffel bag so that she can hold all these core memories? Like, sh- there's no way she's going to spend the rest of the movie almost dropping a core memory every three minutes, right? So, but, I mean, Bing Bong is a great device in that regard. Here, use my infinite duffel bag. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I again, like I said earlier, I think that Richard Kind's performance in that is like so great. Like I think yeah. that's one of the best performances in this movie is is you know, and he seems like a kind of like a joke character. Like oh, he's the imaginary friend, and you know he's. Yeah. I'm mostly kinda... cotton candy. <laughs> yeah. Cat and elephant. <laughs> yeah, and dolphin. And dolphin. Yeah. And dolphin, of course, dolphin. <laughs> But yeah, I yeah. agree. Like he's got because he's got such a very distinctive voice. So like for adults, I mean, most of his work is sort of more adult. So like for adults, it's like, oh yeah, like as soon as he opened his mouth, I knew exactly. I didn't even know he was in this movie, but as soon as he opened his mouth, I was like, oh, Richard Kind is in this movie. Okay, cool. <laughs> and but I think it speaks to the level of his performance that like while I spend his like first two scenes just like picturing him in the booth like recording mm-hmm. these lines. By the end, like, you know he's not going to survive this movie. As soon as his hand disappears, you're like, he's dead. But, mm-hmm. like, you, I, I stopped thinking of him as Richard Kind by the end. Like, I, and yeah. I'm, like, I got emotionally invested in Bing Bong, you know? And mm-hmm. that's, you know, I think that sentence alone speaks words. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's your headline right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got emotionally invested in Bing Bong. You're, you're, I'm very interested in your reaction to this movie daily because in some respects it sounds like you were – you were caught up in all the tropes of it, and you were like, "Oh well, this is going to happen. Oh, that she's going to find a Daily fucking back." Daily doesn't of... like joy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've established this, but it wasn't I... weird for the sake of weird. So Daily's <laughs> above it. Uh, that's a quote he's not going to get either. That's uh, true. That's a non-Simpsons fan. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but so it seems like perhaps you were subjecting this movie to a level of scrutiny that you don't always apply to other movies. You know, in terms of like the. Because I feel like we get caught up in like the logic of a, a movie's premise and, and its execution when something about the movie is not working for us. Yeah. So I think that was interesting in your discussion of like Jurassic World, like talking about like all the logistical stuff with the like gyrosphere and like yeah. you know that that conversation is a product of the fact that that movie is not working for you. Right. You know, so I'm curious, like you know how do you honestly feel about the movie or did did something happen last week daily were you like in a <laughs> shitty mood when you saw this because like no no i went in like ready to love this movie maybe i maybe my expectations were too high like that's a possibility because i mentioned this in earlier podcasts that you know there aren't really a lot of other movies that i have you know there are other movies i'm looking forward to watching but no other movies that i had like real serious expectations about and yeah. honestly you know a slew of uh, reviews in the last week that all said like this is the best Pixar movie ever made like mm-hmm. you know that may have uh, you know pre-colored my judgment a little bit um, well but did you ever think that maybe they were right no no, no I'm go not... in with the open mind that maybe it is no no that's my problem I think I went in waiting like wanting to be wowed and while yeah. I am really impressed by this movie and while I did really like it you're right. Like there was something that kept me a little removed from it. Where I is it patriarchy? It Did might patriarchy keep you removed. <laughs> yeah, from probably. It? There weren't enough dudes in this movie. Um, <laughs> although speaking of patriarchy, I love that, and maybe this is like has something to do with why the dad is ruled by anger. But I love how like a dad, how daddish uh the anger character is like he literally every morning he comes out with a newspaper like every like every third scene he's got a newspaper that is literally the headline is whatever's going on at the moment i adore that that's just fabulous yeah all the details in this movie like i feel like that's another reason i wanted to see it again not only because i wanted the emotional experience of the story uh again and i wanted to see you know hear some of the 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 one-liners and stuff again but like there are so this almost feels like a simpsons episode or something because there's so many little details like 
that you will catch upon rewatching. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and like the headlines I noticed, but I'm sure there's even more stuff that's packed into every frame. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing this again at some point. Absolutely. But yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. I think there is something that kept me a little removed from it. And maybe it's that my expectations were too high. Maybe I went in like being like, all right, like, I'm I'm ready like fucking wow me and maybe it's just that I literally got too caught up in the minutia of how this world actually functions to mm-hmm. get like sort of swept away by the characters and by the story and you know maybe that's a product of the first five minutes being a technical diagram of how this movie works that like I got so focused on that from the outset that like that's what I kind of got wrapped up in but mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, I, look, I loved it. I think it's great, but I don't... What I, is your favorite Pixar movie? Can well, you, that's what can I was going to say. I, that's what I was going to say. I think we should do... So you said earlier, what, what did you say, uh, Ratatouille or no? Wally. Wally. is my you favorite. Wally, and, right? yeah, but yeah. Ratatouille is like, it's so close. Like, yeah. and it's, they're, they're different moods, you know? And yeah, like, exactly. For me, watching a movie is so much about what mood I'm in and what emo- what emotional state I'm in at the at the moment. So like Wally kind of... You know, Wally is romantic. Wally is like I think from a filmmaking perspective, extremely well executed. Like that opening silent twenty minutes, like yeah. the the silent film lover in me, like just gets <laughs> so Twitter pated for that. I love that so much. But then I love the like story of Ratatouille, and I love Patton's performance, and I love the whole idea of it being about you know making art. You know that very that's yeah. very appealing. Yeah, so totally. so those two movies kind of jockey for position um, as my favorite Pixar. I but agree. there's very few Pixar I don't like. Like yeah. I, I've never seen Monsters University or the second Cars, and I don't really love Cars. But there are far worse offenders out there. Yeah, you know? no, I agree. I didn't really care for Cars. I did not see Cars two. I didn't see Monsters University. Although I would watch Monsters University. I just yeah, didn't I would see too. it. I yeah. didn't really love Brave. Like I think again, I think Brave is very good because patriarchy. Because patriarchy, <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I mean, we say because patriarchy, but I think that is a movie that is. If you were a daughter with a mother, you would have loved. Brave. Exactly. No, that's exactly what I was about to say. I think that is a movie that is built for mothers and daughters. Very glad I did not see that movie with my mother because I would have been even more of a wreck than I actually was. I still think she hasn't seen it. I didn't tell her exactly what it was about or why she should go see it because I just wanted her to go see it cold. But I think my lack of like this is why you should go. See see it is why she, part of why she never saw it i didn't yeah. sell it as no i think i think brave is a movie that is like literally genetically created for mothers and daughters so it's a good movie it's a technically it's really good i mean i could just watch her hair like lie around <laughs> yeah. on the screen for hours but like that's not a movie that is made for me you know so mm. there's no, something but see i don't like that because that's why most of the boys that i encounter won't go see girl movies no i know but it's I not that like i that won't idea that it's not made for you how many movies do i see with boys i saw jurassic world yeah but and no i didn't sit around being like well this isn't made for me right no no, no. i'm not but i'm not saying it's a movie that's made for you just because it has girls in it or because it's about girls i'm saying it is a movie that is centered around the relationship between a mother and daughter and so that is a relationship Almost with which i have no centered after fathers and sons and right. i can still empathize and no sure exactly no that's fine and i'm not saying that i don't like it or that i didn't enjoy it i'm just saying that like there's it's like it's again so we, we talked about uh we didn't podcast it but jamie and i saw spy and i was saying that like i enjoy paul feig's movies and like intellectually i think they're really well well made and i think that they're really smart and i appreciate the politics behind it but there's something missing on like a chemical level that i just like i 
something is there's a barrier that like what I just you're saying is you should have seen more girl movies growing up. Maybe I don't know, but it's no, like I'm dead serious right I, now. No, I'm not. I'm not arguing with you. This is upsetting to me that I feel like girls can access any movie, and that's I think a big reason why it's upsetting to me when guys don't want to see girl stories because of what you're talking about. You're saying there's a barrier there. Why should there be a barrier? Why can't you empathize with movies mostly about women? Why can't those relationships mean just as much to you like why can't that register with you and i think for girls it does because we're trained our entire lives to see anything right to not but, care what a protagonist is you but i'm not no see boy movies no but i'm not talking about that i mean with with brave specifically i am i'm saying like yeah that's a mother-daughter thing and that's a different kind of relationship than than i've experienced but I, that's not what i'm talking about when i'm talking about paul feig like yes he makes movies that are like female centric but that's not what doesn't appeal to me about it there's something about the humor there's something about the execution where it's like yes i recognize that's funny and like intellectually i appreciate it but it doesn't hit me on that like base chemical level the way something like mad max fury road does or or even like the original ghostbusters you know where it's just like boy movie boy movie right but it's not about like them being boys or them being girls you know like i the girl movie that registers with you on a chemical level so that we can try to figure out what it is you're missing because so far it's just boy movie boy movie boy movie Mm, that's a good question Mm. i don't know uh I would say not to stir the pot. I mean, I like more 16, I usually I mean, 16, 16 Candles. Is that a girl movie? Yes. I mean, Molly Ringwald. I like Sixteen Candles a lot. I get Molly Ringwald in that movie. Like, there, there's just like, it's that. How do it's you that, feel about Pretty in Pink? Uh, I've never seen Pretty in Pink all the that way through. Way girly. Yeah, no, I've never seen that one all the way through. It's like it's not because but again, Pink was in the title. Know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. They it's why Princess tr- of they Mars make isn't dresses work as a title. in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, again, it's like, but uh, Orange is New Black. I love Orange is New Black. There are like three guys in that whole show. You know, mm-hmm. like it's not about well, shit. Well, yeah, exactly. But it's the thing. It's not about the gender. It's not a gender issue for me. Like, with Paul Feig specifically, it's not a gender issue for me. There's just something about his comedy that, like, appeals to me intellectually but not emotionally. And I just can't – like, I never get those, like, crazy belly laughs where I just, like, am uncontrollable. I'm like, oh, that's funny. I recognize that that is a humorous thing and I appreciate your humor. Aside from – and, again, I don't – I'm trying to play into the gender stereotypes, but – pretty much every word out of Jason Statham's mouth in Spy uh, is amazing. But He's so funny. He's it's like incredible. Whatever you, like, imagine a Jason Statham character to be, he's just completely playing with, like, all those expectations yeah. of, like, crazy Jason Statham in the high-octane movies, and it's so funny. Yeah. That, yeah, that's what I've heard. I wonder if you don't like Puffy because his films are sort of indifferently directed. He's not a great visual no, stylist no, or anything. No, no, he's not. And I feel like maybe if it was directed in a more yeah. interesting way, if you wrote a movie might, and didn't shoot it, yeah, yeah, maybe some of those jokes might land in yeah. a way that they don't land for you. Because I, you know, the one speculating, thing of, yeah, no, I think that's probably fair because the one thing of his that I adore is Freaks and Geeks. Like mm. I love Freaks and Geeks unreservedly, and that's like a thousand percent Paul Feig. But also, yeah. he didn't shoot most of that show, so maybe that's it. Maybe there's again, it's like I said, it's like a it's a base chemical level. So maybe it's just like a visual representation. There's something about it that doesn't work. I, I can't I can't figure it out. And if nothing else, Spy is by far the best big screen use of Melissa McCarthy ever. Yes. 
Absolutely. ever. It is the best. Right. It is her best role in of her career. It like without question. And yet, still, I'm like, well, that was good, but I like, I don't know when I, I need to watch that movie again. Female friendships. Yeah. Like, very few people have nailed female friendships like Paul Feig has in all of his movies. I, I know that's that's one of the things I really like about Bridesmaids is the relationship between Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig. Like yeah. that. Fuck the fact that you know whatever gender dynamics like that just feels like a real friendship to me. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's, yeah. And that's what like resonated. Like that's I. I mean, I really like Bridesmaids, so I don't have the same problem with it that you do. But um, like that that was you know in addition to all the the humor, which I yeah. mostly worked for me. Like I like the sort of emotional um, undercurrent of that. Yeah, so. Spy has a similar sort of thing going. Really, because it doesn't. It's not advertised that way. It isn't, but there is a pretty great grounding female friendship at the core of Spy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I've heard very good things, so let's check it out. Well, anyway, originally we were talking about like favorite Pixar, Pixar yes. movies. Favorite Pixar movie. That's how this yes. conversation started. Um, yes. And I, I'll kind of I agree with you. Like, I mean, with movies in general, but specifically with Pixar movies, I think. Where yeah, like my frame of mind, whatever mood I'm in at, at the any given moment will absolutely uh, determine what Pixar movie I want to watch. You know, because I think again, like so many of their movies are like they're not to say they're all one thing, but it's like if I'm a little sad, I'm not gonna watch Up. You know, like that yeah. movie's well, depressing as fuck. Act. Right, exactly. But I won't get past <laughs> the first watch, act. You, you know, just, just start it after that. Start it right. right when he's an old man alone in his house, and you'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, I think for me, uh, it, for a long, long time, it was always The Incredibles. The Incredibles was my favorite, like forever. Um, I also really like Wally and Ratatouille. Um, uh, and the other one, I really, really love. Uh, Toy Story 3. Yeah. Um, Toy Story 3 is fantastic. It's one of the few ones that we don't own. We don't own any of the Toy Story movies. We keep meaning to buy the box set of the three Toy Story movies, and we just haven't gotten around to it. Um, but I loved Toy Story 3, like, unreservedly. I think it's so smart in every possible way. Um, certainly for a third entry in a franchise that was never meant to go beyond one movie, you know? Yeah, I feel like maybe that's that's a reason that movie is so beloved is that by any metric that movie should be terrible. Yeah, you know, exactly. like that that movie should not work. The third series or the third movie in a series should not be the best movie in that series. No, you know? no, not at all. But it objectively is. Yeah, you know? I, I think so too. Uh, I haven't seen the first Toy Story movie in a long time, but I yeah. think you're probably right that three is the best. Yeah, I think. I, yeah, I kind of agree. And I've, I've probably seen the first one more recently than I've seen the second one which is a little rough in patches. But then again, the second one was literally meant to be a direct-to-video movie right. originally. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's, so it sort of depends on what mood I'm in. So, uh, like, The Incredibles is a movie I can watch anytime, you know? Like, it's not that it's all upbeat, but there's such a great, like, rousing sense of adventure to that movie that, like, I can literally watch that movie at the drop of a hat at any moment. Um, whereas something like Toy Story 3 or WALL-E... I love, but it also depends on what mood I'm in. But th- those are probably my top three. It's Toy Story 3, WALL-E, and, and uh, The Incredibles. With Ratatouille in a very close fourth. Because yeah. I adore all things Patton Oswalt. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, how about you? Where does this... I, but again, I, I think Inside Out is sort of also like right up there. It's certainly in the... like I would put it in my top five, probably. It's probably right, right down below there. All right, that's good. Um, my favorite's Monsters, Inc. 
Monsters Inc. Um, there was another thing I totally forgot about, which is that Young Riley reminds me so much of Boo. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, to the point that I feel like they just took the Boo image, like, they took the Boo, like, uh, algorithm and, like, put blonde hair on it and just, like, you know, spruced up the emotions a little bit. But when you watch all the flashbacks of, like, baby Riley, it feels so much like Boo. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, and I think the, uh, the another little subtle callback um, is the the dog in the end credits looks like the dog in Up. I think. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I think they're Pixar's. You know, they're they're they like to throw those little. You well, know, I was gonna say, and I feel like we got to go back and find like I bet like the fucking Bugs Life characters or somewhere like the, yeah some but there are some characters from other movies like hiding in the background of frames somewhere that I haven't mm-hmm. found yet that I really am like I, now I want to go back and find them because you know that they're in there somewhere. Yeah. No. I I like I I guess I just. I love, I mean, I love Pixar movies and I love, I love that this feels like kind of, um, I don't know. I don't want to say like a comeback cause it's not like they ever made like, you know, like garbage or anything, but they've but been it, mired in sequels for a while. Like, right. They've done and, an original movie in a little bit. Right. And that's why I'm a little concerned. Like, I mean, I'm sure finding Dory will be great, you know, yeah. especially, I mean, it's Andrew Stanton directing, yeah. writing. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, you know, he's. He's good, so I'm I'm feeling good about that. But, but that's really all they've got for a while. They've got another Cars movie. They've got the next Incredibles movie. They've I don't got think they have another Cars movie yes, coming. Do really? Oh, really? Oh no! Yeah, that's <laughs> basically that's basically all they've got coming out through like eighteen or and, nineteen. And the Good Dinosaur coming yes, this year. After that, but yeah. after that, it's just it's a lot of sequels. <laughs> oh, that's a little discouraging. Yeah. There are certain movies, and I don't know, maybe you agree, disagree, let me know, uh, both of you, that you don't want to think critically about and that you don't want to, like, you don't want to investigate too much because in your mind and in your impression of them, they're perfect and you don't want to, you don't want to shatter that at all. And so sometimes that means you don't watch that movie ever again. I was going to say the same thing with, like, Toy Story 3. I don't think, we don't own it, so I haven't seen it since the theater. So, like, I have very strong memories of it, but I haven't watched it since we saw it in the theater. Right, and part of that is probably because you don't want to shatter that that impression you totally. have of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was a little trepidatious about this because I loved it so much that I didn't want to talk about it and then find like all like start pulling the string and the whole tapestry unravels, you know. Yeah. But I that hasn't seemed to happen, so I'm I'm pleased with that. But um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just I'm really looking forward to seeing it again because I feel like it is of the you know current. Uh, or the recent crop of Pixar movies, it will reward repeat viewings. Oh, totally, yeah. Like I said, I think there are a lot of, not just like gags, but I think there's a lot of just you know, little little things, like little layers and little Easter egg kind of stuff here and there that you, you're only going to see on the second and third time through. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to revisit. I'm certainly excited to revisit this world. And I appreciate, if nothing else, I think I appreciate that this movie ends with, like, what is both simultaneously a really blatant and also, like, didn't even really occur to me subtle, uh, like, sequel setup line. Right. Which is, Do like... You th- what could happen? Yeah, she just turned yeah. 12. What else could happen? Like, I took... Originally, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a callback to she's 11. What could happen? Like, whatever. And then the more I thought about it, I was like... Oh no, that's totally so they can make another one of these later. Which reminds me, speaking of puberty, we never did talk about Riley's imaginary boyfriend. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> I would die for you. I would die for Riley. It, well, that made that sets us up perfectly. Is he your heart of the Ghostbusters? Is Riley's imaginary boyfriend your heart of the Ghostbusters, no, I don't Jamie? I want to hang out with that guy. But he would die for you. Yeah, and that's why I don't want to hang out with him. Because <laughs> that's appreci- it. Do I want to hang out with Edward Cullen? No, thank you. I don't know. I did appreciate his uh, boy band haircut, though. Yes, I yeah, did. his floppy hair. Yeah. I was Before we do Ghostbusters real quick, so do you think they will make a sequel? Like, Oh, I bet probably. they do. Probably. Yeah. It made an unbelievable amount of money. Still couldn't beat Jurassic World, but Fuck, Which is sad. That's it made so hard. ninety million dollars and still did not beat Jurassic World. <sighs> I, I just don't know. They said about it's the that. highest opening for an original movie. Yeah. And the highest opening for a movie that still didn't come in number one. Like it's yeah. the highest number two opening ever. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people went to the movies this weekend. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure a sequel if they if it's Pete Doctor and if they really approach it the same way they approach this and really try to handle adolescence in the same way that they handled you know uh, you know being a prepubescent you know yeah. young person like I think it'll it could yeah. be very good you know no, like I'd be okay puberty with this seems week. like a very natural sequel setup you know I right. trust Pixar to do it well but I'm worried that like I don't know. Puberty's I, not a fun time. I don't want to see all that drama. I don't need I know. Well, and, and puberty gets dark, too. Yeah. And, and right. puberty, like, there's stuff that I don't think Pixar would, you know, stuff that happens in puberty and, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Th- things you do that, Part- you know. And particularly for a female, perhaps, that is not best depicted in animated form, you know. Oh, I just don't. No, nah, I mean, it could be depicted in animated form. I'm just saying, like, I don't. Pixar is, you know, they make G and PG movies. I don't think they will ever seem to make anything beyond that so i think you you'd need a higher rating in order to do it emotionally honest you know so anger wants to break out all those curse words (laughs) oh my (laughs) god if they hit if they hit puberty that has to happen uh well heart of the ghostbusters time who do you want to have a drink with who is your drinking buddy in this movie and I will say, I, you know, part of me wants to limit it to the five emotions, but that seems no, way too limiting. So I, to anybody, you could you could pick Riley if you'd like, a human or or, or emotional character. I think that's frowned upon. That's, yeah, drinking with eleven year olds is usually not. You could have uh, some kosher. some juice. Yeah, here we go. You could have a, a nice or a nice OJ with Riley. Yeah. Shirley Temple's all around. Uh, Jamie, I'm thinking. you're thinking. Jeff, do you, I mean, I have one. It, if everybody else needs a minute um i mean i think honestly it's down between a couple i think honestly it's sadness because again everything she said (laughs) made me laugh and i you know i have a darker sense of humor in some respects so you're laughing with her would she no she probably at her she probably i know she probably wouldn't but yeah i i just i love that character and it was you know it was funny and it was poignant and i i don't know i i love everything about that character so I'm, i'm gonna go sadness that's fair that's fair. Uh, I am in what should shock nobody. Going to go with Bing Bong. That's what well, I was thinking. I'm totally going with the imaginary no, friend. I too um, was thinking Bing Bong. Who is just like I again, like and again, I like I while I love and adore Lewis Black as anger. I mean that is just perfect, yeah. and it like in a way it breaks my heart not to pick Lewis Black, but. I mean, I I think Bing Bong is the character that I like identified with the most emotionally. Like, I totally got that, and I started thinking about like, did I like, what, what, did I have an imaginary friend as a kid? And like, like I don't it's... really have. I feel like I, I mean, I totally did, but I don't remember if he had a name or like what the. He's in the memory was. dump now. Yeah, exactly. He's, He's in the dump. I he disappeared. I had an imaginary friend, but I cannot for the life of me remember the details. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. But so. I know I had one. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I I gotta go with the imaginary friend. He has a fucking rocket ship to the moon. Come on. Yeah. 
No, I mean, Bing Bong is a very close second. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, he would be a close second for me. Yeah. Uh, Jaime, do you have a do you have a heart? I'll go Bing Bong. You'll go Bing Bong. That's where I was leaning. I feel like that's the first time we've ever agreed on Heart of the Ghostbusters. All the other characters to see if that is definitely what I wanted. Either that, or I want to hang out with all the emotions inside that teacher's brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that yeah. was a joke that spoke I, I right to me. I feel we understand Old each other. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, like that was that was great. I will say there is a part of me that feels like, uh, you know, kind of feels a little bad for uh, Mindy Kaling because I feel like disgust totally gets the short end of the stick in this oh, movie. Definitely. I mean, I feel but like in she's... the sequel, it'll be all disgust. Exactly. Yeah. Puberty <laughs> is like disgust's fucking movie. Wait till she's yeah. a sarcastic, angry teenager. Yeah, but I feel like she gets maybe like a cup. I mean, she certainly has like the... She doesn't get a nice standalone gag the way fear does or the way anger does. Like anger gets to have the big idea to run away and fear gets like the great she dream get critique to break scene. open the glass by setting anger off. Yeah, but that's like a visual gag. Like, there's, there's, she doesn't have like a scene where like Mindy Kaling gets to be funny, Mindy Kaling. You know, like she gets like three or four good lines basically, and like that's kind of it. So, but have you have you heard the story about Mindy Kaling talking with Pete Doctor about like the movie? And no, she, no, not at oh, all. Yeah, I think this was. I heard this on um, Fresh Air, and basically they this movie. I don't know if every Pixar movie is like this. Like, I know they go through long development stages where they really like they try to break the story, and you know they they get all the the brain trust of Pixar oh, together yeah, yeah. and really go through it, you know, line by line. But I, I feel like this was a movie kind of like you alluded to at the beginning where they really like it really changed a lot as it progressed. Yeah, and at a certain point they were still like. I mean, and this was they were clearly recording voices so it must have been you know fairly far along in the process but they were having trouble identifying sort of the theme of the movie and you know i think it was mindy kaling who said you know i think it's so beautiful that you're making a movie about how it's okay to be sad to grow up you know and how how that sadness and joy are you know sort of they belong together and they're integral to each other and symbiotic and and pete doctor's like quick someone write that down and like they like (laughs) So I, I feel like, you know, even if she didn't get to contribute to the movie and the story, she apparently was very instrumental in clarifying the theme. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't know what the original design was for each of the characters, but I did like the fact that um, they each have their very own specific color scheme, except Joy mm-hmm. and Sadness have the same hair. Yes, like, I totally noticed that. Everyone else is so pointedly different, and yet they have the exact same hair. Well, that should just about wrap it up for all things Inside Out. Uh, Jeff, Jamie, thank you for being here. A pleasure as always. You're welcome. Uh, Jeff, where can the people find you on the, on the Twitters? Uh, you can find me at Ari Groat. Uh, and I'm not spelling it. No, don't spell it. Just let them figure it <laughs> out. It yeah, exactly. You. you can find me at mdaily01 on the Twitters. And, of course, you can find the uh, blog at uh, dailyscreening.com and the podcast here that you are currently listening to is of course on soundcloud and on twitter we've had fun talking i hope you've had fun listening have a lovely evening and a fantastical tomorrow 